0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, what a weekend it was, man. A wild, wild weekend in college football. One of those Saturdays in which you feel like you've got everything figured out and then you see all of these top six teams play like they are a shell of themselves. And we're reminded in this sport that nothing is guaranteed. And in a year that is so unbelievably bizarre and chaotic and unpredictable, anything can happen on any given Saturday. In addition to seeing Michigan State and Wake Forest suffer their first losses of the season, we also saw Alabama go down to the wire against LSU in a game in which look, we I told you it was like going to the dentist, it was like waiting for your dentist appointment. And instead, Alabama is fighting for its life at the very end of that game, trying to prevent a last second Max Johnson touchdown pass. Go figure that that happened. Go figure that Cincinnati couldn't pull away against Tulsa. Ohio State was fighting for its life against Nebraska on the road. It just felt like everywhere you looked across college football, with the exception of Georgia, everybody at the top, at least, was like, oh, hey. We could take this week off. We're going to be good. And then suddenly that was not the case. And unranked Purdue, I'm not saying unranked Purdue would win a national championship, but I'm not saying that they wouldn't. Is that fair?
1: I'm saying you definitely shouldn't tell them they couldn't.
0: Right. I I would never, I would never do such a thing. Definitely would never do that. Uh, We're going to get to all the games. We got a lot going on today. Uh, We're going to recap everything. Um, Tons and tons of takeaways. Uh, Florida, by the way. Goodness gracious! I, I didn't even I didn't even mention Florida at the top. We're going to get to Florida pretty early in this pod. We're going to talk about Dan Mullen and just the debacle that he that he went through in Columbia on just an embarrassing night for the Gators. But, but, but he first, will be. before, well, we will trust me, trust me, we will get there. But first, we got a new ad. A new ad. Will have you gotten into the uh, the NFT market just yet? That's all the rage in the NBA right now, not, isn't it?
1: Not yet, but these actually might be what does it for me, man.
0: Okay, so. If you haven't heard of this, Campus Legends, yes, NFTs have officially come to college football. Campus Legends is launching the first ever officially licensed athlete in school NFT drop and it's going to start this Wednesday with the 2008 National Championship Florida Gator football team. Go figure Florida fans. Hey, I'm giving you something to feel nostalgic about, feel happy about, simpler times. That 2008 Florida team was so much fun too. That was like the the best team to be in NCAA video games because you got to be Tebow, you got to have this all world defense. It was a lot of fun. Campus Legends will be rolling out drops for more schools in the future, but this week it begins with their partnership with the University of Florida. When the drop happens on Wednesday, you can start buying, selling, trading, officially licensed licensed collegiate uh, uh, digital collectibles. I'm so used to seeing collegiate apparel. Collegiate digital collectibles, that's the NFT market. Moreover, what's cool about Campus Legends is that the players are along for the ride. Campus Legends is helping current and past players monetize their NIL through this new NFT marketplace. Go to campuslegends.com and click sign up in order to be ready for the Wednesday drop. Repeat, Wednesday, campuslegends.com. It's gonna have everything that you want, these digital collectibles that are gonna be so, so cool. You're gonna want a piece of this. Get ready to get in on the NFT game for college football, campuslegends.com, go do it. All right, week 10. I debated where to start. We do have to start with LSU Bama for a little bit. I know there are people that have Bama fatigue, and I promise we're not gonna dig into this for a half hour or anything like that. But the most people across college football are going to be talking about Alabama and it's bizarre, bizarre game against an LSU team that was uh, seemingly left for dead. Well, you texted me in the middle of the first, qu- I think it was, no, it was like probably even earlier than that. It was like three or four minutes into the game on Saturday night, and you as an LSU fan were like, hey, Is LSU going to really make me watch this entire game?
1: (laughs) Well, dude. Boy. It was hilarious. (laughs) They did. It was hilarious, yeah, because I was, like, I joked about it in our preview. I was like, I'm probably not going to watch most of this game, because I famously just did not watch the game last year, because I was like, I knew it was going to happen, and I was, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, I don't, like, why would I watch my, my team get blown out? And I watched the whole Auburn A&M game for whatever reason, I decided to do that. And so I was like, kind of, my day was kind of going on and I was like, I need to get some stuff done. And so I was like, I, I kind of like missed the first like couple drives. And then once I saw like my new burner Twitter blowing up with that uh, the Avery Atkins <laughs> pass, I was like, all right, all right, you got me. And I looked up like, and it was midnight and I was like, uh, I did it again.
0: When Coach O starts rolling out the the punter, the fake punt jump passes, you know it's time to tune in. Exactly. You just know. If he didn't go for fourth downs, I found myself so unbelievably mad. There should be a rule, just every single time. And if he doesn't go for it on fourth down, it should at least be a fake punt of that nature. Right. We need that. LSU fans need that. Otherwise, they're gonna do what you're gonna do. They're just gonna not tune in, right. and that kind of put Bama on notice a little bit. At least it seemed like LSU had an actual chance to win this football game when Ty Davis Price busted loose on fourth and one. I I, I thought that was <laughs> that was going to the house. I really did. But instead, Bama's defense holds strong there, and then again on the last ditch drive, which. Um, from the 30, basically, you felt like this this could be an opportunity. This could cr- a crazy thing can happen. I, I remember standing up, being like, "Is this really about to happen?" You can hear it. You can hear it with Fowler and Herb Street in the tone of their voice, the silence of Brian Denny, just a stunned silence. It felt like for the entire second half of that football game, where Bama's struggling to, to score, struggling to look like the Bama that we have expected in the previous years. I'll get to the Bama part, but I'll say this about LSU. Dead wrong. (laughs) Your boy did not see that coming in in the slightest. And I I think most LSU fans would probably agree with that. That defense played its tail off. It absolutely did. And even if it included Jay Ward coming in from the second level and maybe delivering a targeting hit on Bryce Young, Bryce Young probably should be sliding in that situation. Uh, Maybe not. I don't remember, though. Was that... That wasn't, I think that was third down. Maybe that's why he didn't slide. I,
1: no, I think it was right after the, um, it was right after like a grounding. It was after that weird grounding penalty, I think. The one that the dude was like covered up. And so I think it was like yes. a second and 20. And then he scrambled for like 15 yards.
0: Saban was not, happy, not about happy about that, about not the no targeting call Generally, on that play Saban
1: all. was very upset. Just not, yeah. not a happy lad on this night. <laughs>
0: Not not the best game for the old the old blood pressure for <laughs> the seventy year old Alabama football coach and uh, I, I don't necessarily blame him I'd be really frustrated with that performance too uh, on the LSU side you're looking you have you have your your secondary is decimated, right? We talked about that going into the game. Yeah, Jay Ward was out there, but <laughs> your four defensive backfield starters were out for this football game. And Ed O'Dron, Durante Jones, and those defensive players did not throw in the towel on a night when many thought that they would have. I know that there are no moral victories or anything like that. And it's still, it's still ultimately LSU Bama and the history books are going to remember it that way. And a loss to Bama is still a frustrating thing for LSU. But man that's about as close to a moral victory as i've seen in recent memory with how close lsu played where lsu you know marler brought this point up on social media like where would bama have been in that game if not for will anderson probably losing probably would have lost that football game oh yeah because there are there are so few guys on that bama team that you feel like can just have that take over a game at a moment's notice type of switch where he makes that play blows up that play in the backfield and they brought up the numbers on the broadcast about like how much it felt like that really turned things around I think it was Ty Davis price that he blew up in the backfield and you're like yeah hey, will Anderson's the emotional leader of this team and even he can only do so much mm-hmm. and Bama once again as we've been talking about since the Florida game just doesn't have that like screw you we're Bama we're blowing this thing out switch that they think they do but every once in a while they can tap into it Mississippi State, they tapped into it. Against Florida, against AM, I mean, even against Tennessee. Yeah, couldn't really quite tap into that. Bama was very fortunate to have Will Anderson, very fortunate to have Phil Mathis as well. Such a strange game in so many ways. For, for starters, remember the, the reverse angle? Like, or not the reverse angle, the, the revenge angle, rather. The 2019 post- LSU victory locker room comments that you know say what you will about a clip like that that comes out to to the public and everybody gets to see it I thought it was pretty noteworthy that Saban said on college game day on Saturday that you can see the clip on YouTube it's all there I didn't know Saban knew what YouTube was
1: yeah that was I mean, to, me. to be honest like if you want to if your goal is to morally affect your rivals I don't know if there's been a single thing that's happened (laughs) since Saban got there that has affected Bama fans the way that O O saying that in the locker room did. I have heard that quote from Bama fans 30 or 40 times. And I feel like bringing it up at this point just makes you look so shook. Like the fact that that's still a talking point, like, no, no, you're not going to beat us. Okay, relax. The guy was in the locker room, exactly what you just said. It's like, it's not that big of a deal, guy. We knew last year LSU was getting curb stomped. We were pretty sure they were getting curb stomped this year. We were wrong, but like- Didn't matter. Yeah, no, but I'm saying like, it's so funny that like, they've clung so hard to that. It's like, dude, relax. You're still Alabama. Like, it'll be okay.
0: Bama had lost to uh, an unranked team at home since 2007, Louisiana Monroe. That streak is still intact. The streak that did not survive, FBS record 34 consecutive games with 30 plus points. Hmm. Go figure this LSU team at Marion Denny Stadium was the team to stop that. Surprising. Let's, Let's just call it what it is. Bama, despite the number two ranking, not a world beater team. Just not. These teams were all within a score of Bama in the fourth quarter. Four and five Florida. Woof. Yep. 5-4, and four, Tennessee. Eh, still, at home, one would think year one, Josh Leibolera, that wouldn't be the case. That was a surprise. 4-5, and five, LSU, and obviously now 7-2, and two, Texas a But go back to the preseason and tell a Bama fan that it'll have an SEC loss, and it'll be that close in the fourth quarter to all of those teams. Essentially half of the SEC schedule. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in dogfights in the fourth quarter. And... Bama fans would have been like, oh boy, this is, that's not great. Bama's flawed. (laughs) It's as simple as that. And it does not have that switch that it thinks it has. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it can flip the switch at certain times. And then other times they, they can't, they can't get, get a first down. Once they get behind the sticks, forget about it. They don't have the ability to get off the field on third down in the same way that we've seen past vintage Saban defenses do. And it's not just the byproduct of being down a couple of offensive linemen. Alabama had six rushing yards. Six rushing yards against (laughs) that LSU team with half of its starters out. How does that happen? (laughs)
1: Sorry. That is just... Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Six. Go on. Yeah, just...
0: If you, if you woke up and, and did not watch that game and you just checked the box score, you'd be like, oh, okay. So Bama just played second stringers the entire time, or I, I don't even know what the explanation would be for, for something like that because that is just so unprecedented to see. Meanwhile, Ty, Ty Davis Price is out here running counters and picking up big gains and Bama can't really do anything about it. Now, Bama still wins the game and in a year like this, that's the most important thing. Yeah. But man, they just lack that killer instinct. They really do. They couldn't score in the last, what, like 20, like a 27 minute stretch without points? Yep. I mean, they go up 20 to seven and then just nothing. The rest of the game. The rest of the game. And you had Bryce Young making just a, a very careless mistake. And this was the type of thing that we came into the year talking about with the comparison of Bryce Young to Mac Jones. Bryce Young has star potential galore. Nobody's denying that. Mm -hmm. He makes plays that nobody his age should be able to make, and the poise is off the charts. It really is. And I very oftentimes find myself watching him kind of backpedal and then step into a throw, and I think, man, that kid just has it. And then other times you'll see the ball security issues like on that play where he's kind of backpedaling. He's got the frontside rusher coming at him. And you just got to know you need two hands on the football in that spot. Mm -hmm. The least thing that you could afford in that spot up six points in that game is a turnover. And sure enough, that's what happens. And he fumbles the football, LSU recovers. That's the type of stuff that, you know, you would hope that your quarterback protecting your chance to go to a college football playoff and defend your national championship would recognize. And then there are just moments where he doesn't. And that's, that's just going to be the case for the rest of the year, I think. I mean, That's just the way that he plays football. To me,
1: it's so unfair. Not that you're doing this necessarily, but it's like, dude, Bill O'Brien's not good, man. Uh, just like watching that game, I mean, there were so many. That was the least prepared Alabama team I think I've ever seen in my life. I, hmm. They had uncharacteristic, like, false starts, miscommunications. That one penalty I was just talking about where the guy got... Uh, I guess they called it like a legal procedure, but the receiver basically was covered and like at the line, and he was off the line, should have been on the line, basically, and just moved out to catch a screen prep. That was so weird. And that's just not knowing the rules. Like that, there's nothing else to that. That's not having your guys lined up. And so at the end of the day, it's like I don't think this game taught me much. It's not like I think Bryce Young is a fraud or anything, but boy. I mean, Bill O'Brien, like, got into this role, and everybody was like, oh, this is going to be fine. He's going to be able to do this. And it's like, he just doesn't – the drop-off from him to Sark is just so much more Stark to me than the drop-off between Mac and Bryce Young because we know Bryce Young is a talented quarterback. We know that. We've seen it. Uh, especially – I mean, he's obviously more physically talented than Mac. He was a five-star recruit. But to see how, in that game specifically, he, that offensive game plan was horrible. I'll, I mean, I can like do a quick thing on this, I'll just get back to it, but it's like, LSU didn't have any DBs, and they couldn't make LSU pay in a way that, I mean, Florida scored 40 points on this team. <laughs>
0: yeah, they had the one play over the top, and that was it. Yeah, like the, exactly. The Jamison Williams touchdown over the top, and like, other than that though, you're kind of just like, surely you're gonna start taking chances downfield. Right. One would think, and but Bama at the same time kind of doesn't have, like I know Jameson Williams had had a, had a great game and he's he's had a nice season for Alabama, but if you just don't consistently have those guys that can get separation and Bryce Young is just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, sometimes it just looks really hard. <laughs> and right. we're just not used to seeing this from Bam in the last three years, even 2018 Tua, where it's his first year as a starter. It It is, there are some shades of 2017 with Jalen Hurts and Brian Dable's offense, mm-hmm. where if Calvin Ridley wasn't open, e- I don't know. You just kind of are are wondering where this switch is going to come from. So I I didn't mean to cut you off because I think that's a perfectly fair point to bring up. I think there are a lot of Bama fans who are frustrated, not just with B. Golding, but Bill O'Brien, because the game plan seemed too basic and not creative enough when it needed to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this was like a big time coordinators game. So the biggest difference you'll see from LSU for sure is... Coach Oak made no bones about he was going to let his coordinators basically dig their own grave in this game. He was like, hey, like, I've obviously been fired. Do whatever you guys want, essentially. And on LSU, you saw a lot of different looks, especially on defense. You saw that Durante Jones is that dude, honestly. You saw a bunch of odd fronts, a bunch of unorthodox pressures, things that Alabama was just straight up not prepared for. Yeah, they I They had no idea what was going to happen to them on a play-to-play basis. I've never seen an Alabama team play this scared. Uh, to the point where we were talking about, you know, uh, I was joking with you about Alabama lost two offensive linemen. and Kirk Herbstreit acted like they were just, it was unwinnable at that point. It was like, oh, wow, they're sinners out. It's like, yeah, man, no, you should probably be prepared for some chaos against this, like, rudderless LSU team. But anyway, Durante Jones had a great game for that reason. And on the other side, Dable, I mean, just got outcoached by Durante Jones, which is hilarious.
0: Uh, not table, Bill O'Brien. Oh, yeah, sorry. But,
1: you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no we're, the, the pasty, we're mixing in being, Alabama yes. offensive coordinators. But, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But, yeah, sorry. Um, Bill O'Brien just got out outcoached, which is absurd. On the other side of the ball, Jake Pete is exactly who he thought he was. That that dude had no game plan. And I honestly think, I mean, not to, like, do this whole thing, but it's it's it, to me it's about this simple. The game breakers on these two teams, right, are Will Anderson and Keyshawn Butte. Keyshawn Butte didn't yeah. play. At, at the end yeah. of the day, if Keyshawn Butte plays this game, I'm not going to say it was like it would be a convincing win for LSU, but LSU's offense was horrible in this game. There, there was yeah. no – there wasn't like and, – and and I texted you that I felt like I was sitting on Mike Gundy's couch watching OAN with the way this game was covered because it was like they were trying to give all this credit to Bama on the broadcast, which I get it, they're the number two team in the country, but it's like LSU's offense never – had a plan. They never executed. They were, this wasn't one of those games where you see, you know, like an Ole Miss or even like an A&M like take it to Bama and like do all these unorthodox things. They were. They had what three shots at the end zone at the end of the game? Like like three different drives that could have scored, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what plays to call at the end of this game after seeing the defense for three quarters. So it's like as bad as this game was, it really was lucky that it wasn't even Danny Etling out there because Max Johnson had one yeah. of the worst games I've seen from an LSU quarterback. And he was just unable to make Bama pay for mistake after mistake after mistake on that side of the ball.
0: Bama lacks the guy who can take away half the field like Patrick Sertan. Yep. They don't have that at the cornerback position. They don't have the, the Devonte Smith and to be fair, nobody <laughs> does. Yeah. Nobody does. Um, and if the offensive line isn't right, Brian Robinson is just not the guy who's going to overcome that. Yeah. That's kind of what I've come to realize with him. And that's not to take away from who he is as a player, because he's a very good player, and you could say that about a lot of different running backs. I, I think Najee is one of these guys who can still stay involved, even in games in which you're like, all right, you know, you don't have it. The offensive line doesn't have it today. The running lanes aren't there. Najee's still gonna get involved in the passing game. Right. He's still gonna be such a key part of that. Whereas Brian Robinson, not really that guy. Bama isn't on Georgia's level, and that's what this comes down to. If they play today, Georgia wins that game by three scores. Yeah. I firmly believe that. And if you think that the Tide would find a way to win that game just because it's Kirby, I think you're lying because of what your – I think you're lying if, if you're taking into account what your eyeballs have been telling you all year. Yep. It's as simple as that. Georgia's the best team in college football. If they go into the sec championship against alabama they deserve to be a heavy favorite they really do it's just it is there's not too much more than that other than alabama is going to just try and fight and claw and get to the sec championship with one loss but to continue to get treated like this all world type of team we'll get to this when we do some rankings at the end here about how i'd rank the top 10 in college football playoff they're not on that level Yeah, man,
1: I I truly felt like, like I said, I felt like I was watching this game in the Twilight Zone. Like, I I was, like, texting you about it because it's, like, I hate to, like, make this so thousand foot about this, but this exact thing is what's wrong with our current playoff system because they have put Bama at two. And like I said, I felt like I was watching a propaganda machine this entire time. They refused to acknowledge how badly Bama was playing. And like little things like we were talking about, snap miscommunications, penalties that are uncharacteristic of Bama, yeah. um, all of these things that you would never, ever, ever see from a Nick Saban team. I mean, to the point where, like I said, Durante Jones, I think he's a good coach. This, this proved this to me. They showed up, and I think they expected to be the big kid that could just push LSU around. And the minute they couldn't push LSU around, they got scared, dog. And I've never seen an Alabama team play like that. I've never seen an Alabama team be so, um, like, fake tough is the best way I can describe it. They Exactly what you said. It was like they thought that they had this ability to be big and scary, and they kept just walking up to the line and be like, we're big and scary. And LSU was like, ha, our coach is drunk right now. What do you Do you think we care? (laughs) They're like, our coaches booked a party barge after this game. We don't care who you are. And Bama's like, but we're Bama. What do you mean? We're Bama. And, like, they would be, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, celebrating, like, every tackle. It's like, dude, you guys are, like, you have 10 rushing yards. Like, okay, man. Like, relax. And, like, if you think about it, man, like, the difference in this game was (laughs) – like, that's what's so crazy about how this game broke down is that LSU was losing the turnover battle until that fumble. And again, that pretty much didn't matter in the end, but LSU threw that pick to end the half. Bama had a short field, right? And was able to, you know, get away with some stuff in the red zone, but they they were able to finally put it together there. And then they start the half. Uh, TDP breaks off this long run and fumbles. And then a play later, or a couple plays later, they finally go over the top. And like you said, they hit that big pass. But it's like, at the time, all the LSU fans were just like, oh, like you know, this is over with. And it's like, what have you seen here that that makes you think that? Because literally, yeah. Yeah. it t- took two turnovers. It took two two turnovers yeah. for Alabama to get anything going against this defense. And the funniest thing in the world is, as they're trotting into the end zone, right, and it's just like, oh, we're Bama. We've done it. We're, up, we're about to be up 21-7. First off, that elephant thing is hilarious, dog. I'm sorry. They they walk in the end zone. You see, I'm like, I'm supposed to be. Scared. It's like
0: the the South Carolina thing, but
1: <laughs> yes, but South Carolina, South Carolina, exactly. They, they get deep, yeah, so I yeah, hear this yes. elephant noise. I'm like, this the seat? This the team I'm supposed to be scared of? Probably just missed the PAT. I was like,
0: uh, was like... <laughs> if anything, that should have made Bama fans feel better, though, right? Get back to the old ways. Get the kicking, yeah, get the exactly. kicking game's got to be a joke, right? Like that's that's the thing that's got to take care of itself. All right, well we'll talk a little bit more Bama with with some ranking stuff at the end. Tip of the cap to LSU mm-hmm. for being able to to show up um, because the, the team, the visiting team in Columbia did not show up. Yes, Florida, South Carolina. South Carolina just puts a beat down on the Gators. Stunning. I thought maybe we'd get a slow start from Florida. We got a slow start from Florida coming off the weird week with Mullen in the Georgia game, but we got a slow start for 60 minutes. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that was a butt whipping. No no way to sugarcoat it at all. I'm going to give South Carolina its its love first because it absolutely deserves it. What a showing that was for Shane Beamer's squad. Hadn't run the ball well all year. We talked about that repeatedly. It just seemed like Kevin Harris wasn't quite right. And maybe his top end speed isn't what it used to be, or at least last year before he dealt with the back stuff. No Kevin but that Harris, ground slander, game, Connor, okay. <laughs> There will be no Kevin Harris <laughs> slander today. There will be none of that. He played really well. Zaquandre White also went off in this game. Gamecocks were averaging just shy of 100 rushing yards per game in SEC play. And they broke 200 against Florida, Jason Brown, third string quarterback, probably more known for his waterboy imitation, which has gone viral a couple different times. If you haven't seen that, get on the internet, check that out. Jason Brown, the St. Francis transfer and his first career FBS start was lights out. Never mind the fact that Todd Grantham insisted on corner blitzes, which that's always the send help sign for Florida. Like, if Todd Grantham starts sending corner blitzes, that that's the sign that he has no idea what's going on. It's the on. white flag. And like,
1: throw, throw it's the, the white flag.
0: <laughs> yes, maybe this will work. That's all we can hope for at this point because nothing else I'm dialing up is 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 having any sort of success. Gamecocks offensive line has just been so bad. So, so bad. South Carolina was down to 79 scholarship players in this game. They gained 15 yards in the first three quarters against a the last time they took the field.
1: They sure did come.
0: 15 yards in three quarters. Jason Brown was excellent. He was on the same page with Josh Van, including that one where I, I don't know how Florida had a coverage breakdown that badly, where I don't think there was anybody within 20 yards of Josh Van in the end zone on that play just strange strange to see that where jason brown looks like he's just kind of throwing it up to nobody and then you realize oh he's throwing it up to the most open receiver in an sec game this year (laughs) shane beamer said i'll I'll give him some credit because we've been critical of beamer we've been critical of marcus satterfield marcus satterfield in the play calling beamer said that he gave the guys less practice time during the bye week and they actually pushed back and said that they wanted to practice more love that and I love that. And that's the type of thing where if you're watching this football game, you could tell which team was totally invested in their head coach and which team looked like it didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Any Anybody watching that game, you don't have to have a, a, a football acumen at all to recognize that. No matter what side you were cheering for, that was so painfully obvious by the end of that game. And awesome to see that for Shane Beamer, a friend of the show, who got to share a very touching moment with his family, got to hug his wife, his, his dad, Frank, of course, his daughter, who his daughter got the very quick hug on that clip at the end. <laughs> it was a little bit reminiscent of the Drew Brees stuff. I won't quite go there. Um, but and then he gets to he gets to hug his mom, which, uh, as we have said on the podcast, when he came on, that's, that's one thing that he always talks to his mom immediately after the games and stuff. So it's kind of cool to see him get that with his family because you know what that meant. That was different for South Carolina. And not just because South Carolina hadn't scored 31 points at home against an FBS team since 2018. Remember, right. shout out Michael Scarn for that one. Um, they nearly hit it in the first half. That was, Man. Th- that was a the type of game that South Carolina fans won't forget about anytime soon because when it happens like that in year one and you see all of these things that you've been talking about in press conferences finally come together two months into the season and you're not just fighting for your life against Vandy, that means something. It means a lot. And I know it does to that program. So kudos to South Carolina for coming out the way that it did. It showed that, it, hey, it can stay on the field with an SEC team that actually has some talent on the other side of it. On the Florida side. My goodness, Dan Mullen. <laughs> we talked about how it felt like Mullen had already lost the week with his press conference saying that recruiting, you know, he was, that was going to come after the season. He's taken out of context. Say what you will about that. Still took an L for that. No doubt about it. Easiest thing to rec- recruit against you thought, okay, you know, maybe he shows up against a South Carolina team that really has struggled in SEC play mightily and take care of business there. All right, you know, the path to an eight and four season, albeit a weird one, is still kind of there. And, and maybe we'll have that conversation about Dan Mullen's future at a different time. And instead that happened. Mm-hmm where you look up at the scoreboard and you're down 40-10 to 10 to that team? A South Carolina team that you could have argued was the worst team in the SEC because against Vandy at home, they had to fight for their lives and get that last-second drive from your boy, Zabulia Noland, who wasn't even playing in this football game, the spirit, just to be able to The spirit of
1: Zabulia in. was with him, though. The the yeoman the spirit of Zabulia really carried them through the night.
0: No doubt about it. And if Dan Ball knew he was up against that, he probably would have just said, ah, we'll just... You guys can just take this one too, too strong to overcome. No doubt about it. That was a new low. And I feel bad for saying that last week was Florida's rock bottom because that at least was against Georgia, a team who does that to everybody, beats them by 27, makes them think that playing football is maybe something that they should not do anymore. South Carolina took control of that game from the start Mm -hmm. and Florida never had a chance. They hadn't scored more than 23 points against an FBS team all year. Again, had that in the first half. Dude, the, the offensive issues.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, just like they were same, same situation as the Georgia game. You got a minute left. Mullen is like trying to trying to do some shit some or whatever. And then, boom, Emory Jones fumbles. This big boy is like screeching down the field. And it's like oh that's the game like it's like whatever big man touchdown yeah love love a big man touchdown but in that moment it was just like yeah like whatever hole they're in at the time it's just like okay like maybe they can figure out the second half whatever that happened it's like oh you have just now given up a touchdown with a minute left again wow
0: (laughs) i was i was texting with my um my florida buddy drew shout out to him and even when it was before that play, he's like, this, this is bad. This is really, really bad. No hope whatsoever that Florida is going to be able to come back and win this football game. And then that happens going into the locker room. I don't even know what you tell your team at that point, because that's the type of thing that just should not happen at Florida. It can't happen at Florida. It can. Uh, Yeah, it did. Uh, obviously it can. And it did, that was about effort. And there wasn't much to speak of it from the Florida sideline. And you could tell the way that South Carolina was running the football and how engaged Florida's defense was that that was just not where they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Florida entered that game leading FBS in yards per carry, got held to 82 rushing yards, more than tripled up by South Carolina in rushing. Oof. Dan Mullen, every time they showed him on the sideline, looked helpless, looked miserable. Todd Grantham, equally helpless. Um, Mullen, even if he fired Grantham tomorrow, maybe by the time that people are listening to this, Todd Grantham will be fired. Probably not what Mullen's gonna do given his nature, but you never know. He's out of answers. His team is four and five, two and five in SEC play for a guy making $7.6 million a year. And at this point, I do not expect Dan Mullen to be the Florida Gators football coach in 2022. Had some some thoughts in that direction, obviously going into this one, and I don't know how this plays out. I don't know if this ends up being a mutual parting of ways. His buyout is twelve million dollars. Six million dollars would be due in the first sixty days. The other six million dollars would be one million dollar payments on an annual basis. Shout out to Nick De La Torre for reminding me of that part of the deal. So
1: they deal. got them the layaway. They can quad pay for Dan Mullen? That
0: sounds like a sick deal. I've never done layaway. Is that a good, a good experience? We're getting close to holiday shopping. A lot of people do that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fine. It just depends on where you're at. Because of the supply chain, I'd recommend it this year. Anyway.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be really difficult to get a lot of Christmas presents this year. People are saying that. Mm-hmm. Gotta order, can't, can't be waiting until a week before you know, something like that. Your, your stuff's just not gonna get there on time. Mullen is two and eight in his last 10 against Power Five competition.
1: No, there's a stat.
0: He just gave the easiest negative recruiting pitch that one can give. When again, as we said the other day, early signing period, next month. Next month. I have been told multiple times that Dan Mullen lost support within that locker room when the Black Lives Matter March happened last year. And... There might be Florida players who are playing for each other. They might be playing for the university. They might be playing for their assistants, but they're not playing for Dan Mullen. It was never more obvious than Saturday night. Saturday felt different and it brought me back to those McElwain days. The end of the McElwain era, as bizarre and as fast, as sudden as it was. Well, where where are you at on this whole deal after watching what went down in Columbia on Saturday night?
1: That's uh, that's a bomb. I was not expecting it was a Black Lives Matter thing. I I just thought that, you know, he was a bad coach. Uh, but I I didn't. So that's that's like been reported. That's like.
0: So what I what I've been told about that was that Brian Johnson was the guy who held everything together. Right. And if Brian Johnson, yeah. Brian Johnson who. I said, I said in the offseason, raised a lot of red flags, in my mind at least, when he left after being Mullen's offensive coordinator, yeah. but was promoted offensive coordinator before the start of the 2020 season, was with Mullen at multiple different schools, and goes to the Eagles to take a job as a quarterback's coach. Yeah. Surprising, telling, now not as surprising. And I had been told that he was the guy in that locker room. Mm-hmm. And everybody loved that dude, like so much to the point where even though he ne- he has never had an FBS head coaching job, if this job comes open, he will get an interview for that yeah. as a result of the way that he was respected in that locker room, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that honestly makes things make a lot of sense because, I mean, the easy... <laughs> The easy kind of crossroads to look at is the shoe game, right? Because before that, I I saw a stat that you know, going into that game, they were like 12-1 and 1 in the last you know um, 13 or whatever. And then obviously it's been a losing record since then by like a significant margin. Like it hasn't been a close. Uh, you could really pretty much argue only the Tennessee game was the bright spot since the shoe game, which is yeah. a calendar year ago at this point. It's very tough. Uh, yeah, I mean, something like a locker room like that, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, usually it just takes something like that to kind of make everyone go, Mm, don't know if I really care anymore. And it seems like, yeah, I mean, going into this year, uh, the quarterback situation obviously was something that we, you know, spent a lot of time talking about. It seems like neither – I mean, it seems like Emory Jones for sure just isn't that dude. It seems like that was mismanaged. Um, uh, Speaking of funny Dan Mullen things, uh, did you hear Dan Mullen's two quotes after this one? Because they were doozies,
0: buddy, the two things that got out. So – Remind me because I saw I saw them. I'm working on about like five hours of sleep right now. I I saw one of the ones that made me raise an eyebrow, and I forgot to put it in here. But go ahead. So
1: he said that they didn't sing the alma mater at the end of the game. The last two. That's right because yes. he didn't know the band was there. And then uh, yes. Nick Stilatori that you just talked about had a video of the Gator Walk where the band is like just blaring at him. And he's like waving him on the way in. That was incredible. And then I just got, I saw this last night. I looked at my phone to remind myself, but Bleacher Report notification. Uh, uh, Bellin said that 20 to 30 players had the flu. Which is oh, that's just right. incredible.
0: Which is just great like, point.
1: Ah, this guy is the cartoon character. Like, you can't make it, it up the amount of excuses this guy has.
0: If you were a Florida fan who woke up on Sunday and said, Ah, you know what, that was fine, guys had the flu. And, and and Damian Pierce apparently didn't get the football because he was one of those guys who had the flu. Not the fact that Dan Mullen just doesn't realize that Damian Pierce actually exists, and he's like their best backfield carrier, and he's getting like six or seven yards a carry or whatever, and he needs the football more. Mm-hmm. If you want to hold on to that, that's your deal. But that's not making the difference in a game that was that lopsided. It's just not. If you think that that was the difference in South Carolina beating you down like that, scoring forty points, I'm sorry. That, that is just not the case. I don't want to hear that when South Carolina is the one showing up with 79 scholarship players. Oh, the that's that facts. And also,
1: w- also, and you know, the year of our Lord 2021, if you think that guys are playing through the flu is a thing you can just tell the media. Like, yeah, David Pierce didn't get like carries because he's a fever of 102. It's like, that's not how our society works anymore, man. You can't just... Yeah, go- why do you
0: think that got out there? Why do you think that got out there before the game? And why do you think that was known? So as a built This stuff doesn't roughly. see the light... This stuff doesn't see the light of day unless people want it to see the light of day. Right. Remember that. So let's pretend that we're Scott Strickland. And look, I don't want to hear this Scott Strickland supports Dan Mullen. That was this guy at Mississippi State. He's going to continue to go to bat for him. This is about booster support. It always has been. It always will be. If there is enough booster support within that program to pay a $12 million buyout, which again is less than the buyout that Will Muschamp got from South Carolina, then this move is going to be made or it's going to be a mutual parting of ways. They'll come up with a settlement, something like that. So let's just hypothetically flesh out this scenario. If I were Scott Strickland the target list is pretty similar to LSU where my number one choice would again, be Lane Kiffin, especially given Lane Kiffin and what he has already done in the sunshine state, what he did at FAU during those three years there. And the way that he built up that offense with a variety of quarterbacks, that's what you would want. That would be a great fit at Florida. I still think from a personality standpoint, Kiffin would actually make a good amount of sense at a place that, is ready to be all in with their head coach that has some swag, has some Spurrier-like capabilities. Mullen has tried to dial into these Spurrier-like cap- these Spurrier-like tendencies. He just is not that guy. Kiffin is that guy.
1: They're too similar to me. Out of those two guys, <laughs> if you, I never thought Dan Mullen was cool. <laughs> you think Dan Mullen was cool? That was never me. <laughs> but I, I, then Kiffin's cool, but like. I, they're both kind of just some older white dudes who wear Jordans, man. I don't really think, like, I'm not dumping on Lane Kiffin, but to think that they're just radically different people, I don't think is it.
0: Uh, did you see the, the bow tie that, that Lane Kiffin was wearing before the game that John Rice Plumley helped him tie? I don't know. That's that's swag.
1: I know. He's if cool. I'm so Lane Kiffin. I just don't think that that just seems like a lateral move because we're not, like, it's not like he's an ace recruiter. Like, they just seem like two great offensive coordinators. I don't know.
0: Yeah, fair. And, and I, that, that's the thing that's interesting about when you do have an opening is a lot of times people think that you need to do the exact opposite of what your previous head coach was when I kind of just think it's, it's just about having the right coach, mm-hmm. you know? How many times do we look back on a coach's tenure and say, that he that this specific coach worked because he was the exact opposite of the previous coach. Mm-hmm. Like, you could say that, I guess, with like Sam Pittman, Chad Morris, from personality, <laughs> yeah, now, like, from good, personality standpoint. Bl-
1: <laughs> yeah, but that, that that way. That's,
0: that's what it comes down to. One is good and one is bad. Like, no, no way around that. I would also say, so again, Brian Johnson, he's probably not going to get that job because if it's your first FBS head coaching gig and you're not someone with a resume like a Kirby Smart, that's pretty unlikely that you would get a job that big time for your first one Mm -hmm. that might hold back someone like Jeff Lebby as well. He couldn't get the UCF job last year. I wouldn't assume that he would be unless it were like a third or fourth choice sort of situation, which you never know. And given the market with USC and LSU also open, you just kind of know, don't know I'd be interested in Matt rule. I think Matt rule is a great coach. I don't know that Matt rule was built for long in the NFL. There have been rumblings that he could be interested if Penn State were to come open, an East Coast guy would make a lot of sense there. Maybe if James Franklin were to go to USC, all of a sudden you just you just kind of never know what opportunities are going to be available there. But Matt Rule, I think, is phenomenal for what he did, not only at Baylor, but building up Temple, too. Yeah. And some people would maybe say like, oh, it's a little bit too reminiscent of Jim McElwain. I disagree. I the guy got an NFL head coaching gig, and I don't necessarily think that that'd be the same sort of thing, even though he, his background is a, probably a little bit closer to McElwain, given kind of where Baylor was at as like a borderline group of five school when he took over. I know they were power five. I know they were in the big 12. But given the resources, all those different things.
1: Florida, you need to ask yourself I... when you're hiring a head coach, is this guy a goober?
0: Right, if he's right. a goober,
1: and... don't hire him. O for 2 in goober situations, as we'd say.
0: That's a good point. And then the last one, and then we'll move on. I promise. Uh, you got to think about Mel Tucker. I, yes. I still think he's he's phenomenal. He's respected, and despite Saturday's setback, which again, unranked Purdue maybe could win a national championship. So oh, let's goodness. not hold that against him. Yeah, but Mel Tucker would would absolutely be interesting. We know he has the recruiting ties in the southeast and has proven that he could build up a program and do so with the transfer portal. I mean, Michigan State has like 42 players that were new to that roster this year, which is incredible to think about and the overhauling that he has done. Any names maybe that I forgot there or any, any, did you have any thoughts on that before we wanted to move on to the other games?
1: That's one of those things that you just gotta know what the interest is out there. Cause like, for instance, like you keep hearing Jimbo with the LSU job, that's a guy that you would think was 10 out of 10 hired. You know what I'm saying? So there will probably be a guy or two that's like, oh, this guy plays golf with Scott Strickland. We didn't know about that. Um, yeah, I think that the names that are obvious i mean honestly okay let me let me ask you this so if you had to rank one through three because it seems like these are the three right lsu Mm. um uh usc and florida where would you put those yep
0: lsu florida usc really um yeah because if i'm if i'm a head coach i'm trying to figure out what gives me the best chance to succeed where are my resources the best recruiting ground all, all that different stuff usc can't fill up a stadium I don't wanna hear this this BS that USC is as good of a job as LSU in Florida when we've seen one person in the last 30 years succeeded at USC and he had to cheat his tail off to do so and that was Pete Carroll. All right? Like, wrong with a little I don't wanna hear cheating,
1: about you that. you cheating, you ain't trying, man. Come on. De- De- you exactly.
0: cheat more and, as we've talked about. <laughs> and people keep saying like, oh, with the NIL stuff, LA is gonna be different. I'll wait and see about that. Mm-hmm. All right? Uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. But LSU, all the aforementioned, three different head coaches in the 21st century winning national championships there, all of which having very different backgrounds. I love that. I love the fact that the in-state recruiting ground seems to be owned by LSU, whereas in Florida, it's just not owned by the Gators right now. And I don't know that somebody is going to step into that job and instantly change that because of how competitive it has been in that state. And I think that's a little bit more difficult than we give it credit for. We can say the recruiting ground is better than LSU, there's no doubt about it, but your access to it and your ability to build from within might not be on that level that you probably think that it is. But at the same time, Florida's a great job. Florida got the facility upgrades. Florida has the resources, there's no doubt about that. Florida is a fine institution that nobody can take away from that. But Florida also has, you know, like, hey, getting a show cause there is a massive deal. At A&M, ah, you know. <laughs> Thanks Jimbo, we appreciate you trying.
1: You know who'd Keep, be, keep, you know who'd keep be doing, doing what there. you're doing. You're probably gonna hate this. I think they should go after James Franklin, man. I, I, I feel like he... I, I feel like he... Fit. <laughs> see, I knew you were going to hate that. I knew you were going to hate that. I, I just... I feel like he's in a certain situation. I mean, hey, we talked about Stoops for LSU. I feel like it, that's a lot more lateral of a move than... I could see James Franklin being as successful as he is right now
0: at Florida. Oh, my gosh. Florida fans would eat him alive. Because
1: mm-hmm. he's like they would
0: Because he's thin-skinned. Yeah. You can't be that at that job. That's fair. Okay. I almost... I almost think you need somebody with like, I'm not saying Josh Heupel, I'm saying like Josh Heupel, Josh Heupel's ability to just kind of like tune out the noise. Mm-hmm. And Josh Heupel seems like he has never been on an internet message board, has never searched his name on Twitter or anything like that in his entire life. And I think from a personality standpoint, that's kind of what you need at Tennessee. Yep. So with that I fan see. base. And at Florida no 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 you can't be the guy who is caring so much about what this publication said about you going on a seven minute diatribe which Franklin will do and he'll open press conferences by doing that. I think that'd be a bad fit. I really do.
1: <laughs> listen, you're the expert in all things cold. I just had to run it by you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's let's move on here I know we got other games to get to. let's uh, Auburn Texas A&M Roadbo Nicks returned in the worst possible way. <laughs> But he did so because AM's defense is nasty. Yeah. I mean, so, so good. I, I truly think that if George's defense wasn't so historically good, we'd be talking a lot more about this AM group. We really would. Fewest points allowed against an AP top 15 opponent for AM since 1957. Three points, it's all Auburn hat, that's it. Only touchdown of the day from either side was a Michael Clemens scoop and score, which happened when Jaden Peavy, Jaden Peavy sort, sort of like hurried Bo Nix, and it looks like Bo Nix was just trying to put the ball in his opposite hand, and it kind of squirted free. It didn't even it wasn't like a you know a true strip or anything like that. But AM's defense is just so fun to watch because they have dudes at every level. Tyree Johnson, suddenly the new stud on that defensive line, who seems unguardable in the last month of the season. Mm-hmm. Edrin Cooper is making all these plays in the open field. Antonio Johnson just sort of does it all. They line him up all over the place. He was PFF's highest graded corner coming into this one, and he just continues to make plays. It's a group that if you looked at it by itself, you would say, yep, that group can win an SEC championship. Better than Bama's defense last year, better than LSU's defense the year before, too. I think A&M's defense is better than 2019 LSU, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that they had all those dudes. Oh yeah. But they had their, their struggles throughout that year. Auburn was feeling it coming into this game, and AM just totally took that away. Auburn's playoff path is over. AM's is still technically there, but it would take an Ole Miss win next weekend on the road. College game day going to be in the house, first time since a certain Katy Perry was in Oxford mm-hmm. that they will be there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but it would also take AM beating a suddenly resurgent LSU team, and it would take Auburn. Beating Bama in the Iron Bowl. So, oh, and then, you know, just in case that wasn't all enough, AM would also then, of course, have to beat George in the SEC Championship. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that at less than 5% that all those things happen. Not dead, but before, not yeah. technically yeah. Not 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 exactly feeling great. They they are continuing though. This AM team is just gonna continue to make me say, what if? Over and over and over. Because they're on this four-game winning streak. And they figured things out against Bama. And maybe without the two-game losing streak, they don't beat Bama. They don't come in with that nothing-to-lose attitude and kind of tap into this level that they're at right now. But the talent is there. It just is. And I, I just, I continue to be more and more frustrated that they couldn't have just gotten that one stop against Mississippi State. I don't have a, a dog in the fight. But just to make the West more interesting, I, I wish that that avenue was kind of opened up because they run the ball so well with Spiller and A-Chain. Those guys are, seem like just a lock to at least flirt with the century mark every single week. They keep target- I mean, this is this is this is AM's identity right now. If you're we're wondering about AM's identity for so long, for the first half of the season, we're like, up until the Bama game, mm-hmm. we're like, what, what are they? They play incredible defense, they run the ball really well with Spiller and A-Chain, mm-hmm. they keep targeting Jalen Weidermeyer, even if he drops the ball. And then they—they're going to—we're all going to continue to be scared to death when Zach Calzada suffers what appears to be a season-ending injury, only to then be relieved that he somehow went into the medical tent and rubbed some dirt on it, and then he's just kind of fine moving forward. That's their identity, right there. All right, like that—that's it in a nutshell. Will the Aggies now get to be the answer to our favorite weekly question? Who's the number two team in the SEC West? Oh yes.
1: Oh, yes. That answer has changed, gosh, four or five times so far this year. It was
0: Auburn coming into this game. If you- It's probably going to be Ole Miss next at this time next week, yep, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, we're going to talk a, a lot more of a and stuff during the week as well mm-hmm. with that matchup against Ole Miss. Let's talk Tennessee and Kentucky. Fun, wild game. Holy cow. This turned into a shootout. Great game to watch without a rooting interest. Great game to watch if you hit the, if you bet the over. Great game to watch if you were the parents of a certain Hendon Hooker. Loved that piece that they did on him, uh, that Marty Smith did on SEC Nation. We here are Hendogs.
1: All day. No hen doubt. Hendogs for life.
0: Hook herd? No. Nope. <laughs> Not good. We don't like hook herd.
1: We'll, we'll workshop hook herd. We'll put that one the back we'll of the Workshop.
0: Workshop. 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 This might be an off-season project for us. Bad game to watch if you were a fan of defense. Bad game to watch if you bet the under. Bad game to watch if you were Mark Stoops. Stoops got an unsportsmanlike penalty at the end of that game after Will Levis got face masked by Tyler Barron and the officials did not call it. It was horrible. It was egregious. Had to be called in that moment. Bad moment for SEC officiating as per usual. That was par for the course on Saturday. But the problem was Stoops lost his mind and it turned fourth and nine into fourth and 24 Kentucky still somehow converted that though. That was the incredible thing. I think it was Isaiah Cummings who had to catch on the sideline. Somehow Tennessee just had a coverage breakdown wide open. They convert that, but then they get another fourth down. They still come up short. Think about this. If I told a Kentucky fan going into this football game, Hey, you're going to have over 600 yards of offense. Mm-hmm. You're going to run a school record 99 plays." Wanda Robinson, bounce back week. 13 catches, 166 yards. He's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Will Levis, five total touchdowns, over 400 total yards. He's going to do the Jim McMahon thing, running into the end zone, trying to hurdle dudes. He's hurtling dudes left and right. He's playing with that fearless, reckless abandon that you would hope your quarterback would play with. Maybe a little bit too reckless. But then I also said, hey, Kentucky fan, I hate to break it to you, but you're still going to lose this football game. No Kentucky fan would have believed you. They, they all would have looked you in the eye and said, you're crazy. But then if you had also told them, oh, your secondary is just going to get gashed left and right, and they're going to lose every 50-50 battle, they're going to get beat down the sideline all day, then they would have been like, oh. Yeah, I guess that can happen. Yeah, not a good sign. And the crazy thing, not is a good too, sign for the
1: crazy thing. thing is too that game. Yeah, yeah, they had one turnover. Like our over under was one and a half. The Pick six. They, yeah, the pick six right. was bad. And, but yeah. they had zero fumbles, which we thought this was gonna be a fumble fest. So it's like, yeah, like how how did you lose this game without like just a, an even turnover battle?
0: Tennessee deserves so much credit for that. That defense, especially getting stops at the end there when they've been on the field like the whole game. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was supposed to be the exact type of game plan that we were saying here on Sunday morning. See, this is this is the ceiling of the Josh Heupel offense. Yep. It's great that they get the quick scores, but then at the end of the game, their defense is gashed. They can't get that one stop that they need. And then you end up still losing the football game. So what is it all worth? That didn't happen. They got that stop. And Alante Taylor, who had the pick six on that play, I thought he played a heck of a game. Pretty nice dance moves as well. And that defense, they continue to just kind of get it done. Mm-hmm. And they don't even have guys there yet they really don't like this is i keep saying this is kind of year zero for that defense and yeah they let up a ton of yards let up a ton of points but you're only as good as kind of your last play and their last play was very very good and hendon hooker let's talk about our guy the king he was on the money all night after getting that easy one to start the 75 yard little screen to javante payton that he just takes to the house Hendon Hooker ends with a career-high 316 passing yards, four touchdowns, had a bunch of key scrambles when the play broke down, looked like the guy before he got hurt against Ole Miss, who was capable of that. And even with Tyon Evans going down in this football game, and I know they got Jabari Small back in this one, which was key, but Tennessee's passing game just kind of took over. So efficient. Hooker averaged 15.8 yards per attempt. Mm -hmm. I continue to ask. How did Joe Milton start as QB1? We must know. We must know. Because did, like, Joe Milton catch Josh Heupel cheating on his wife? <laughs> did Joe Milton walk in on Josh Heupel giving a duffel bag full of cash to a recruit? My, my bad. This is Tennessee. I was about I to say. <laughs> this is Tennessee. It would be a McDonald's bag full of cash that a recruit would have gotten mm-hmm. from a Tennessee coach. This is just like... uh Jerry's wife Gail in Parks and Rec. Ben ben just has to know how that marriage happened. Just has to know. And he never finds out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're ever going to find out the real reason why Joe Milton started over Hendon Hooker because, man, they are just so different. I hate to keep ribbing on Joe Milton because that's not the point of this. It's to praise Hendon Hooker because the guy is just so smooth. Yep and he looks like he, he just has things figured out and they're dialed into a different type of level. He takes too many hits, I get that, but he's been awesome in this system and I find myself really hoping that he comes back for another year. Hooker is an impressive dude, really, really impressive. What a brutal slide though for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Man, not long ago that we're talking about what a, what, a, what a great showing they had against Georgia and they should be feeling awesome going into the bye week. They're gonna be going, they have a really good chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. That's out the door that's not happening no longer the number two team in the east even yep. in a year in which you beat florida and lsu you're no longer the number two. and i know LSU's not in the east but still a year in which you beat florida and you're not even the second best team in your own division three in a row harsh harsh reminder of what incomplete teams can do or can be exposed for in this league in kentucky's an in- incomplete football team as we sit here after the first weekend in November.
1: Real quick, sorry. One thing that we absolutely like hit the nail on the head with this. Did you the time of possession here is thirteen minutes, unbelievable. Two seconds, forty-five points.
0: <laughs> it's it was like the the um the Wake Forest Army game, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where the the time of possession was just so unbelievably skewed in the opposite direction, and it just didn't really matter welcome to modern football yep. i guess yep
1: and it's like looking at this so, yeah like first downs tennessee at 17 uk at 35 it's like man 35, 35 to 17 doubled them up in first down tripled them up in time of possessions and then some just didn't matter like this is just this is what we hope this game would be that, that that's that's my only takeaway is just like this is literally two completely like anti-styles hitting each other in the mouth this is a great game i don't know
0: Kentucky's had a tough couple of weeks responding to some atypical offenses, and that's that's something that that has to come back to Mark Stoops, mm-hmm. and he he definitely deserves some blame for that. Brad White as well on the defensive side, you have to be better defensively in these moments. I don't know if it's it's if it's just a depth issue, if they're just kind of hitting one of these like mid to late season lulls or whatever it is, but Kentucky still has a chance to kind of turn this around and still end up with you know something like a nine win season in which. Historically speaking, that would be really, really solid for Kentucky. But, man, just two defensive duds in a row. Can't have that. Mm -hmm. Just cannot have that. Mississippi State and Arkansas, great football game. Speaking of great games, man. Will, question for you. Mm -hmm. Would you like to kick footballs from Mississippi State?
1: Oh, absolutely, bro. I'd be in there.
0: Just get to Starkville. Show them them your, your eligibility and who knows you you just never know mike leach open tryouts for kickers this week Mm -hmm. his kickers went 0 for 3 two different kickers went 0 for 3 in this football game including a kick that would have tied the game at the end of regulation after will rogers leads this march down the field with 21 seconds left and don't you know it finally arkansas gets something to go it's Way uh, I felt bad for Will Rogers because the kid played his tail off again. He deserved an overtime period in that football game, probably deserved a win. Makai Polk continues to make plays for them. MSU should have won this game on that fourth and one. Um, the Traylon Burks, uh, let's what's a nice way to say this? Traylon Burks sold a holding call extremely well on Martin, Am- uh, Martin Emerson, he was a talented and. He is a talented actor. There's no doubt about it. He hunts hogs with a knife. He acts his tail off Mm -hmm. in this play. He sold it and MSU fans had every right to be pissed about that game because it was, it was officiated poorly on both sides. And once again, it felt like, you know, even going back to the Memphis game where Mississippi state got screwed in that game as well. Mississippi state definitely got screwed in this. Meanwhile, Arkansas fans are like, wait, we actually caught a break. That never happens to us. So Arkansas fans are not going to feel guilty about that 1% because Lord knows they have been screwed over by officiating a whole lot in the Sam Pittman era so far. So they're not going to feel really bad about that. Mm -hmm. But I understand both sides of the argument on that. Will, we talked about how important this game was for Arkansas to avoid those 2020 flashbacks of getting off to the nice start and then fading in the latter half of the season. This game could have gone down that road. It easily could have, but instead Arkansas clinches bowl eligibility, beats a ranked team for the third time this year, got back to the ground game. Traylon Burks, besides the acting job, he made huge plays in this football game and proved to be a really difficult matchup against a respected Mississippi State secondary. Not a vintage Barry Odom defensive showing, but did have, whenever Grant Morgan makes an interception, I always think to myself, and, and Arkansas gets off to one of these early leads, I'm like, oh, this is this is hog heaven right now. <laughs> this is exactly the way that they dial it up. Mm-hmm. That's really where Arkansas can thrive. They That's the type of game script that they need to be able to win because it allows their ground game to kind of do what it needs to be able to do, have that lead. Dominique Johnson was excellent. KJ Jefferson had this one run late where he just kind of refused to go down, nearly had the go-ahead score himself. But Arkansas being bowl eligible at this point of the season. Tip of the cap to Sam Pittman. You go to LSU next week, then Bama and Mizzou. I don't know, eight and four, very much a possibility for them in the regular season. Here's what I was thinking about watching this game and watching a lot of the games in the SEC that have played that played out on Saturday. Third team all SEC quarterback. Hmm. The, really interesting question right now, because I think we'd probably look at first and second team and say, that's going to Matt Corral and Bryce Young in whatever order you want. Those guys I think have kind of separated themselves at this point. Didn't realize the Matt Corral stat about 15 touchdown passes and 10 rushing touchdowns. He is the fourth SEC quarterback since 2007 to do that. Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, the other three, pretty league company Mm -hmm. being able to do that. And we're still only in early November. So I think those two guys are probably safe there, but third team All SEC quarterback, who would you give it to? Of these four guys, and maybe I maybe I should even include Stetson Bennett. Didn't even <laughs> include Stetson Bennett in this category. KJ Jefferson, Will Rogers, Hendon Hooker, Bo Nix.
1: It's got to be KJ. I I feel like KJ is like I. I don't want to put, like, a whole tier between them, but the way that he's played this year, especially Arkansas being known as being a defensive team, when you look at that old Miss game, when you look at how he's been a dual threat and he's a guy that, you know, not that – I mean, not the narrative super-duper matter, but he's a guy that, you know what I'm saying, didn't have a lot to work with and had to totally, like, change his game. He's, like, a, a totally new quarterback, I, I feel like, this year. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like he definitely is just kind of like the engine for Arkansas in a way that um, – I mean, you could say that, too, about Rodgers, but that offense is just kind of what it is. You know what I'm saying? I think Rodgers is a great quarterback. I really do. And he's, he's looked awesome yeah, last month. He's he been been really has. lights out lately. Like, I'm not taking anything away from him. It's just, to me, the dual threat aspect of KJ is, is a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Um. It's it's funny because if Bo Nix wins that game on the road against Texas A&M, I, I think he's yeah. very much that guy. <laughs> he's probably not going to have the numbers to warrant that. But Hendon Hooker is going to have a case. Yeah, he really will. I, I think with how efficient he's being, if he can stay healthy the rest of the year, there is definitely a chance that Will Rogers continues to put up big-time numbers. Of course, in that offense, and I, I don't necessarily see that fading down the stretch. But it's going to be a conversation. It's going to be a pretty good one, and we'll probably change our minds about it moving forward. If I had to go right now, I'd give a slight lean to Hendon Hooker. Okay. We are head dogs after all. Facts. Love KJ love will rogers and what they've been able to do but probably would would go somewhere in that order as of right now all right liberty old miss okay so i was so excited for this one and it don't get me wrong i love being able to watch this at noon mm-hmm. i love that we weren't competing with a bunch of night games and it got kind of the airtime that it deserved the hugh freeze reunion was a little bit disappointing okay he said that he got a ton of support walking off the bus, which was more support that he got from the the Ole Miss social media team. Couldn't believe that they did that. Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, the post-game tweets, an, an uncomfortable level of savage. <laughs> <laughs> they did the compliance tweet. Mm-hmm. They did the won the day tweet with freeze in the hospital bed in the booth uh, like it was a couple years ago for that Syracuse game, of course. Yeah. Ole Miss deleted the tweets and apologized. I know Ole Miss likes to have fun on social media and I know that that's the new thing this year. Tom Van Herren of ESPN wrote a story uh, about a month ago about how savage social media teams are really being and they're trying to get that engagement up, doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of stunning to see him go there. And especially when, as you, as you were telling me like, Hey, this was your guy. Yeah. This is an Ole Miss slander tweet. Like they, this isn't like a rival head coach. This was your guy.
1: Yeah, so they, they basically copied almost word for word Hugh Freeze's tweet that we talked about last episode yes. that was like, hey, don't slander these young men. If you have any questions, send it to like this at Ole Miss. But instead of, like, instead of the email for Ole Miss, it was the email for Liberty. And like I, you sent that to me and I was like, number one, you're making a Liberty guy's life hard. Like just a random guy. And then number two, like you're memeing yourself, dude. Like This isn't even really that good
0: of a roast. Right. It's not like Hugh Freeze walked out of there double birds...
1: Yeah. You know,
0: and it's not like he left after one year or something like that. Interesting move because you know that they had that in the chamber. They had that ready to go. And you would think that something like that would have to go through a certain process be like, Hey, like how, how kind of, how mean can we be in this spot? And I'm not saying that Hugh Freeze is above any sort of criticism or people like poking fun at him or not necessarily, but, you know, it was it was a very interesting move. So that that was kind of weird. Oh, listen, in I've
1: gotten that call. The, how that call works is your social media team is talking about something. It's funny. They love it. They tweet it. Then they get a call from somebody like the president, of the AD, like a a, a dude. And then they're like, "All right, delete. Sorry."
0: Yeah, they they had to walk that one back a little bit. But screenshots last forever. The reception that Hugh Freeze got was nothing like Lane Kiffin, Tennessee. And the people that I had talked to during the week suggested that he was actually going to get probably a warmer welcome than what I was originally giving him credit for. Mm -hmm. And that, that actually proved to be the case. Andrea Carter, who we talked to in the midweek pod said on air, she said that people were, when Hugh Freeze came out of the tunnel, out of the halftime tunnel, that there were people that were coming down and like well-wishing him, not like heckling him, but like well-wishing him. So kind of, I kind of like when people can turn the page a little bit it helps that old miss is in a position that it's in now and it's not still decimated with scholarship limitations and stuff like that mm-hmm. so take that for what it is we didn't necessarily hear this smattering of booze and it wasn't that hostile atmosphere that that old miss or that tennessee rather was when lane kiffin returned there for the first time as a head coach but from a football standpoint it wasn't super super entertaining because old miss jumped out to this 24 to nothing lead right and it looked very, very one-sided. And credit Liberty, because Liberty came back in the third quarter and actually made it a relatively close football game. And they did so by running the ball. But Ole Miss just had this weird game. Really, really weird. On one hand, you pitched a first half shutout against Malik Willis and sacked him seven times. Your season high coming into this game was six, and he sacked them seven times in the first half. Mm-hmm. That is no small feat. Allowing 14 points to an offense who was averaging 37, that's pretty remarkable. Chance Campbell and that defense, Sam Williams, who before he got hurt, he was all over the place. They were really good for most of that game with probably the exception of the third quarter. But then on the other hand, you're like, well, you allowed 284 rushing yards to a non power five team. That's not ideal. Not great. You would not like to brag about that. Malik had these moments where you saw the intriguing next-level skill set. The way that he just sheds dudes and can break tackles is so fun to watch when he gets a step and he gets a little bit of space in the open field to make plays. He still took a bunch of sacks, and he made some predetermined reads that got him in trouble. He threw three picks in this game. He had two in the red zone where just very ill-advised game record type of throws where one, he just thought he was looking off this safety and the safety was just like sitting there. It was almost like he was targeting the safety, thrown to the far sideline, just did not work out. I would have loved to have seen Malik play with the protection that Matt Corral got for most of the day because it looked like Matt Corral could kind of step into throws and do whatever he wanted. It was good to see Braylon Sanders back in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. John Rice Plumley getting a lot of love in this one. Jerry Neely gets the big touchdown to start after that hole that I think you and I could have run through, probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> on that 75-yard touchdown. But, um, oh yeah, and Matt Corral, got, got, he's got the fade. He's got the buzz going now. He's a because he he doesn't trust the Oxford barbers. Remember, that's a true story. He doesn't trust them to be able to kind of give him the cut that he wants. Mm-hmm. He only gets that cut when he's in LA. So when he's in Oxford, he's got to get it. Like, he's got to get something like just kind of all over the place. He's got to do something a little bit creative. He doesn't trust them mm-hmm. to do it, which is kind of a weird move for a guy who's been there for four years. Yeah, I was about to say, but, this is
1: your life, dude. <laughs> like you, got,
0: yeah. you not know a single good barber? That's kind of on you. Somebody hook up Matt Corral. Somebody give him the, the cut that he needs. Because I don't think he wanted to get that cut, but he still ends up getting it. He is clearly not at 100% yet. Mm-hmm. And he was really hobbled by that ankle in that game. And it's too bad because you know Ole Miss protected him well. And that's, that's the good news. And you feel good about that. But next week, uh, you get to face that A&M defense with college game day in the house. Mm-hmm. And that place is going to be rocking. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great atmosphere. But... I worry about what that looks like against the am defense that made bonix run for his life a healthy bonix and bonix had a lot of moments in that game where you're like man he doesn't have a chance and if Macrawell doesn't have that full, mo- full mobility it's gonna be ugly anyways will did you have any any thoughts on this one
1: um no I just yeah it's always good to see it's always good to see these like pleasant reunions like you said I I I, I love it when fans don't kind of blame <laughs> other people for what's going on. I feel like this is a very, very, um, what's the word? It's a very realistic take on, on society by almost fans. Got to clap it up for that.
0: Maturity. Mm-hmm. Outside of, you know, maybe the social media team who didn't quite read the room the way that they should have, you know. Outside of that, and there, I'm sure there were things that were said by by some there, and I'm not even saying that you should totally – be like, hey, let's give this warm welcome for Hugh Freeze, right? Let's clap yeah, it up and blah, blah blah. Like, not not telling you <laughs> got to be like that or anything, but you'll
1: have to roll out the welcome mat. But yeah, I just don't like to see what happened at Ole Miss, um, Tennessee, man. It's just like, ugh, like that just makes me feel bad. So things not being that way is a pro.
0: Hugh Freeze, Hugh Freeze did not have to avoid golf balls or mustard bottles or vape pens,
1: so that's a win. Dude, if I told Good you man. you had to just eat something onto the field and you could choose your weapon, what would it be?
0: great question who so it's got to be something that can fit in your pockets yep it can't be like oh i'm gonna throw a a baseball bat on the field like no (laughs) come on you're not getting let into the stadium here's something okay throw a vortex the vortex football okay (laughs) send that sucker flying because here's the thing Anybody can throw a water bottle. Whatever, you send that vortex, and I'm clearly just tapping into the rookie of the year Henry Rowan Garner thing. But you send that vortex across the field, and 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 it hits someone. That thing whistles through the air. You're gonna get you're gonna get some people's attention. If I'm gonna throw something like that, if I'm what is, what is, what's the word they use? The verb they use? Yeet. Yeet. Yeah. If I'm gonna yeet something out of the field. I want there at least to be that 5% chance that they could turn around and be like, oh my God, who's the kid who threw that? <laughs> Respect 31 you. 31-year-old like, man. Wow, what a cool individual. Thanks, man. Wow. That dude's got a cannon up there. So that, that is my object of choice to, to yeet a, tech, a vortex football. What about you?
1: Oh, I dude, if I could get one in, I would go with one of those like highlighter-colored softballs. I feel like that would just be a great, like, <laughs> very similar actually, but yeah.
0: Probably would do some damage too if you connected.
1: <laughs> it, would, it would lose all the momentum coming off of the top, the top though. It would just be kind of falling towards earth.
0: <laughs> what if, and you would also have the percent, like the 10, 15% chance of going viral right. if there was somebody catching the ball exactly. on the sidelines as well. And it's just cool back and forth. And I was like, oh, no, I was just having a catch. Just you know, It's, it's intermission. Like in baseball, when there's an injury on the field, sometimes, you know, you're the pitcher, you got to keep your arm loose. You just throw the ball to the shortstop or whatever. You want to stay loose. That's all we were doing. Exactly. I was just trying to help the guys, you know, trying to the help boys. the fellas. <laughs> all right. Let's talk Mizzou, Georgia real quick here. Um, I don't want to get too caught in the moment. But I saw Tyler Macon, the Mizzou quarterback, break a kobe dean tackle mm-hmm. i don't care what the scoreboard said mizzou won that football game based on that alone
1: that's going to be like a in Heisman their hype 40. video forever it's just bah mizzou tough
0: that's i i need to see that cut up with the most dramatic music possible a 43-6 to game of tyler making forcing a missed tackle by nicobe dean hadn't seen it to that point um Mizzou, however, did not win this football game. We did, however, see a few things that were positives on the Mizzou side. Mizzou's run defense, which just basically sent the kitchen sink every single time. Steve Wilkes is like, you will not run for 400 yards on my defense. Nobody does this to Steve
1: Wilkes nine times in a row.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was like, where where was this against Boston College? Um, (laughs) The dogs only had 168 rushing yards, which was about 300 less than I thought they'd get. So that's a win, kind of the problem for mizzou was that the passing game was absolutely there with stetson bennett he made this throw to arian smith on fourth down that was just a beauty yeah it's exactly the way that you dial up where if he's stepping into that one on fourth down he feels very very confident to make a throw like that in the end zone he was on the same page with jermaine burton all day he actually underthrew him on that one where jermaine burton somehow goes over the top and just mosses the dude Mm -hmm. and then he has a knee down at the one yard line looks like a touchdown initially so, the good news was that we saw those moments from Stetson Bennett, and then it prompted Kirby Smart to bring in JT Daniels in the second half, middle, about middle of the third quarter. So, we finally get to see him for the first time since September 25th against Vandy. And I thought he looked rusty. Mm-hmm. Rusty. That's what Kirby said he was coming into this game. He had the touchdown on that little screen to your boy, Ladd McConkey the lad. on that first drive. Whenever Lad does anything, I love that you just text me, Lad.
1: <laughs> it's such a great name. He's just so pure. I'm just happy he. I'm happy he's good, honestly.
0: That dude could be. That dude could have five touchdowns against your beloved LSU Tigers, and you would still text me in all caps, Lad.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Good for him, man. What a Lad.
0: <laughs> On the second drive that JT Daniels had in this, he threw it behind Jermaine Burton. The ball is tipped. It's picked, and it's a reminder that he's. Not quite on that same page with all these receivers just yet because practice reps are one thing. And I know he got a lot of those in the off season and I know he got those reps, those game reps down the stretch at the end of last year, but getting those game reps and in in this offense is still something that he needs. And it's something that is only going to be able to happen unless he gets into the second half of these football games. I don't know how much that's going to happen the end of the regular season next week against Tennessee that's looking like potentially an all Stetson type of day mm-hmm. who knows we just we just don't know I'm, I'm kind of done predicting what the game flow is going to look like for something like that but maybe in a, maybe the the two games after that we can get more more of a sample size of JT Daniels what he looks like in this offense but Stetson looked like the unquestioned guy and if you were kind of waiting to see the side by side for the first time in a while uh, I thought Stetson answered that question. Any thoughts about the quarterbacks before I move on to one other thing about this game?
1: I was talking to one of my boys about this, and it's, uh, you can't do what Les Miles did in 2011, right? You can't do the Jordan Jefferson comes in, rips off the 80-yard touchdown against Tennessee, and then Les Miles forever is just like, Jordan, and you just never get it back. And honestly, I'm going to give Kirby credit for sticking with Stetson at this point, because Stetson has done everything he needed to do. You still know that JT is obviously that five-star guy who has like this cannon arm and he can change the offense up. So if you, if you have to be presented with like a Tua situation where it's like Stetson just doesn't have it against, you know, Bama or Ohio State or somebody down the line, it's like you could still bring in JT. It's not like he's lost. It's not, it's not like Tua where he was a totally new guy. I mean, Tua had played like some, some mop-up duty, but JT has obviously started for Georgia. So I, I hate to say it, but I think they're playing this perfectly because, like I said, the last thing you could have is a QB controversy when you're number one and eight or nine and O.
0: Yeah, and they don't they don't have that. And JT, to his credit, all signs point to him being the right guy for this spot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Being mature about this, understanding the bigger picture, he is not one of those guys who's sitting there on the bench and pouting and in, in being frustrated about his situation, despite the fact that he came into the year as a, as a Heisman Trophy favorite. And if he had been playing in these games, maybe he would be. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know definitively, but he has handled this very well. And if Kirby needs to call on him in this spot in the future, or Stetson just isn't the guy on a particular day, who knows, maybe that opportunity will present itself. One more thing about this specific game, there should be a new rule. Georgia should not be allowed to line up Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis as blockers on a goal line run. That is cheating, illegal. Just, sorry, anytime that's illegal formation. Every time they want to do something like that, actually, it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool to see. Shout out and, Jordan
1: Davis for getting that bag, man. I put a photo in the uh, in the in the group of like him. I think he's working for Morgan and Morgan now, and they're just like it says like size s- matters. It says size matters. And it's just him flexing. What a king, man.
0: He is the king. He is what we all need in our lives. Consider this about Georgia. Well, let's talk a little bit about playoff stuff before, before we end this. Number eight, Wake Forest lost to UNC. Mm-hmm. Number six, Cincinnati. Barely survived Tulsa. Number five, Ohio State held on for dear life against Nebraska. Number four, Oregon, one score game in the final two minutes against four and four, Washington. Number three, Michigan State lost by double digits to unranked Purdue who may or may not win a national championship. Number two, Bama squeezed out a six-point win against a four and four team with a lame duck coach. Mm -hmm. So if there are any Georgia fans who are upset that their team didn't cover 40 and a half, uh, don't be. Take your 43 to six win and and move on that kind of brings me to the rankings conversation we know that on tuesday georgia will be number one i wanted to do how i would rank these teams we talk a lot about what they miss how we think they'll look how we try and i always try and put my mind in the mind of, i always try and put myself into the mind of the selection committee and that's usually what i focus on mm-hmm. but if i legit had to do the rankings this is the way that i'd go I'd have Georgia at one, I'd have Cincinnati at two. I'll explain that in a second before people yell at whatever device they're listening to. I'd have Oregon at three, Bama four, Oklahoma five, Ohio State six, Michigan State seven, Michigan eight, Notre Dame nine, Texas A&M ten. The Cincinnati thing. I tweeted this out. Everybody got all upset. If you watch the end of that game, Cincinnati had to get like two different goal line stands. They somehow fumbled when they were on their own one trying to just get a QB sneak to run out the clock. And they fumbled and they gave the ball back up. It could have been a disaster holding on to an eight point lead in that game, but instead they survive. Mm -hmm. All the people who told me that I was bananas to have Cincinnati at number two in my rankings because of how they played against Tulsa did not feel like bringing up the fact that Ohio State was engaged in a one score game against Tulsa with three and a half minutes left. They did not want to tell me about how Oklahoma State beat Tulsa by five. Oklahoma state is one of these power five teams who could be knocking on the door is, is going to be knocking on the door potentially for a top 10 spot. Did not want to talk about that. Instead, all they wanted to talk about was how Cincinnati failed to get the style points. You can't even rank them in the top six or top seven. they They're maybe top eight borderline at best. When I just gave you the rundown of all of those teams doing very down to earth type of, of, of things on a Saturday in which, seems like upsets were just all over the place and everybody was playing down to its competition. So what makes everybody think that like, so who would my my question to those people would be like, all right, so who's your number two? (laughs) Because Bama continues to play down to its competition. Oregon continues to play down to its competition. Both of those teams have losses. Oklahoma doesn't have a quality win yet. They don't. Now they're going to get three chances for that in the final stretch of this season, but they were on bye, so they didn't even have a chance to pick up another win. Ohio State, again, single digits to a team that's unranked, isn't going to a bowl game. Kind of like, hey, Ohio State doesn't have this sort of This sort of level that some people think that they do, Michigan State loses. I had Michigan State previously, I would have ranked Michigan State number two. I told you about that. And then we're getting into the you know, the one loss and potentially even two loss power five teams. So I ask if everybody's telling me Cincinnati can't be number two, who is?
1: Yeah, that's no, that's the thing is like I didn't understand people were so anti Cincinnati. I guess y'all just like seeing the same teams over and over again, which is fine, I guess, but it's like again, exactly what you said, like. Whose opportunity are they taking? Do you think Ohio State and Oklahoma aren't catching enough breaks in this world? Do you think that those teams, <laughs> do, do should we feel sorry for Ohio State or Oklahoma? Because I don't. And it's like, yeah, you, you look at this and it's like exactly what you said. And like, <clears throat> I can, you know, slander Alabama and how they played on Saturday and all these different things, but exactly what you said, it's like, Nobody except for Cincinnati really has a quality win. What if Alabama's against right. a, a, a Mississippi State team that's now fighting for bowl eligibility, and despite being like 17th? We'll uh, get there. Yeah, get there, no, yeah. yeah. And so obviously we have a whole other podcast to like talk about all this stuff too. But it's like, yeah, like if if the selection committee's whole thing is going to be quality wins, I don't see a ton of them this year because the teams that are beating good teams are bad teams this year.
0: Yeah, they're just they're just not there, and that's that that that's where i would push back and say all right then who's your number two right do you really want to put oklahoma at number two when their best win is kansas state or texas tech
1: oklahoma is going to have the opposite place? situation they had last week where they didn't play this week and they just watched everybody yeah. head of a blues and now they're going to jump up like three or four spots
0: yeah or people are going to say like oh well then then that means that Bama's number two team when i just told you how many teams that bama has played down to mm-hmm. how many of these kind of middle of the pack teams they don't and if like, you mean to tell me Cincinnati couldn't do those things as well? Like, come on. And Bama has the loss. It'd be totally different if Bama was undefeated. Right. Bama's not undefeated. Oregon's not undefeated. They, they lost football games. And yeah, Bama's got a quality loss now because AM has figured some things out. All right, cool. That's all well and good. They still shouldn't have been number two. It's pretty simple. And these rankings on Tuesday are going to send people into a tizzy because everybody's mad. And nobody looks the part. Right. Except Georgia. That's it. Georgia's the only one who looks apart. part. Cincinnati didn't look apart part on, on, on Saturday. I'm not saying that. Uh, but considering Michigan State loss, I would have no problem with Cincinnati at number two. I'd have no problem with Oregon at number two even, which is just crazy to think about. <laughs> That's where we're at right
1: now. Yeah, look at, look at this situation. I like touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'm just going to keep saying, you know, we need an eight or 12-team playoff because at the end of the day, it's like, it's fine that there is, like, tier one is one team this year. That's fine. What that means yep. is there's no separation between Cincinnati, Oregon, Alabama, Oklahoma, like, those teams need to play each other, dude. They just need to play each other. Like, there's just no other... You can't convincingly tell me... This would be me. a good
0: year for it, yeah. What's up? This would be a really good year for the 12-team playoff, right. I agree with Like, you.
1: if you're going to sit there and... Ex- like, the in, the inverse, almost, of what you just told me, is like, if you're going to sit there and tell me, convincingly, you know, Alabama would be Ohio State, or Oregon would beat Cincinnati, or... any, I'll be like, okay, and like... No, (laughs) like, so this is one of those years where it's like, okay, perfect. So again, these are all tier two teams. There's nothing wrong with being a tier two team. Let's make them play each other and figure out who's the best among those. And then obviously, hopefully Georgia takes care of business and they're on the other side of that bracket. Yeah, two
0: through seven. You can go in so many different ways with it. You really can. And I expect that's what it'll look like. I expect all those teams, Cincinnati, Oregon, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Michigan State will probably all be in that, that group one way or another then I think you know you have because Michigan and Notre Dame have lost teams that are ranked ahead of them in that group and then of course Texas A&M has the two losses Oklahoma State rather uh, Oklahoma State has has the one loss on the year but don't have they don't have the quality wins at all um, so I think that's that's the way it'll probably break down on Tuesday night we'll have some more reactions to that maybe potentially we should do like a bowl or no bowl maybe we're yeah. a little bit overdue to do some of that within the sec and play out what the rest of the season could look like for some of these teams that are fighting for bowl eligibility in the month of november leave us a five-star review if you have not go subscribe to this podcast go subscribe to college football uncensored saturday lists forever do that wherever you get your podcast go subscribe to our newsletter saturday.football coaching carousel stuff we've got SEC basketball stuff that's part of that we need to talk some SEC basketball soon with our friend adam spencer we'll be doing that in a bit join the facebook group Hear your name red on air with figuring it out or bold and brash thanks guys talk soon